I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. This episode of Stock Club is brought to you by Hyundai. Restart your journey towards a greener world with Hyundai's next generation of zero emission cars. Find out more about their range of electric vehicles and the savings they can bring to your company and employees at Hyundai.ie. Hi there and welcome to the Stock Club podcast. I'm James and with me this week is my Wall Street co-founder and chief investor, Emmett Savage, and our head analyst, Rory Caron. In this, the first episode of 2021, we're talking about the recent rise in Bitcoin and how investors should approach the cryptocurrency. Fubo TV and the reasons why there have been so many bull and bear arguments surrounding the company, and the big investing trend we're expected to see in 2021. Happy New Year, folks. Welcome to the first episode of Stock Club for 2021. Emmett, Rory, welcome back to our virtual Zoom recording studio. Do you, did you guys enjoy the Christmas break? We all had the same break, really, didn't we? <laughs> Sitting at home as usual. It was nice to get away from the markets for two weeks. Yeah. What about you, Emmett? Yeah, I'm the same, actually. I think everyone in Ireland, anyway, had pretty much the same Christmas. You know, we went nowhere, we ate similar food, watched the same TV, waited for new titles to be unveiled on Disney Plus on Christmas Day or whatever. And and, um, I enjoyed it. It was great. I was surrounded by the people I care for the most and love the most. And other than that, yeah, it was fine. That's a nice outlook to take on it. Rory, you've no Moroccan food poisoning stories for us this year. Yes, thankfully, no Moroccan food poisoning. It's the, one of the great outcomes of this pandemic is that I can't go far afield and uh, poison myself. <laughs> well, let's move on to, to matters then related to the market. And it feels like we've actually gone back in time to the end of 2017, as over the last few weeks, Bitcoin prices have rocketed up in value once again. Since the pandemic-driven sell-off back in March of last year, the infamous cryptocurrency has been on the rise, gaining close to 500% of time of recording since March. This has pushed the price of a single Bitcoin to well over $30,000. It actually hit a recent high of close to $36,000 earlier this week. For comparison, during the so-called Bitcoin bubble of 2017, the highs reached by the cryptocurrency were about $20,000 per Bitcoin until the prices collapsed under $3,000. Rory, I'm going to come to you first. I know you've been kind of looking at this um, over the last few weeks. What's driving this current run in Bitcoin prices? Yeah, well, I mean, it's, uh, you're a brave man for actually saying the price of it, James, because that the information is going to be completely outdated by the time this podcast actually goes live. It's, you know, moving at a phenomenal rate every single day. I think it had its biggest sell-off on Monday. It seems to have recovered since then. Um, what's driving it? The, the short answer is no one knows. <laughs> that's, yeah. like the real short, that's the real short answer. I mean, I read quite a lot about it over the last kind of couple of days definitely there was a halvening in 2020 which essentially meant that miners were even paid half what they were being paid previously in the past that has typically led to kind of these kind of parabolic rises which but also followed by heavy crashes uh, a lot of people are saying that the fact that institutional investors have started talking a bit more openly about it and a Paul Tudor yeah. Jones uh, has gone into it Stanley Druckenmiller 
Anthony Scaramucci started investing in it. You know, not someone whose judgment I would hold in particularly high regard, but you know, it's another name. Um, <laughs> and you know, some of the some of the kind of more, I suppose, concrete arguments for why it's why this is happening is that there is a lot more regulation. Uh, in the space a lot more than there was in 2017 anyway much tighter restrictions on things like custody and the security of of, of the assets which is getting kind of more institutional investors interested in it because you know none of them were going to put in hundreds of millions of dollars and hope that they didn't lose the usb key uh but um yeah look jp morgan chase the other day said it could rise to 146,000 per coin their logic on that is based on it kind of coming to the same levels as gold yeah. Which which they which they admit would never happen with the current volatility. So there's would have to be a kind of convergence between the volatility of gold and, and the volatility of Bitcoin. So like there's all there's plenty of different kind of elements happening at the same time, lots of different reasons why people are saying that this spike is different from 2017 <laughs> I mean, it's, the, the, it's the always most, different. Yeah, the day the most dangerous reason in investing, this time it's different. Um so you know, if anyone out there actually knows, feel free to contact Luke and uh, I'm sure and talking through it, <laughs> he can then explain it to me. <laughs> well, you mentioned some big institutional investors there, Rory. And, you know, even in the, the My Wall Street shortlist, companies like Square, I know, have a lot of Bitcoin on their balance sheet. I know PayPal have enabled Bitcoin trading on their platform. How significant is it these massive companies becoming involved? So, well, some of it's very significant and some of it's not significant at all. Like, and there's an awful lot of kind of mad news stories coming out that claim to be a sign that Bitcoin is becoming much more accepted in, in, in society. And so the great example was there's an NFL footballer who plays for the Carolina Panthers who claimed that he was being paid half his salary in Bitcoin. Uh, it came out very quickly afterwards that that wasn't the case at all, that he was being paid his salary in dollars and was converting half of it to Bitcoin. You know, like that's <laughs> that's like me saying I'm being paid half my salary in red wine. It's it's just not true. I'm being paid my salary in euros and I'm converting it to red wine. So, you know, like those kind of mad stories are everywhere. I think that's driving an awful lot of hype around it. The Square thing is always interesting. Obviously, uh, Dorsey is a massive fan of Bitcoin. They hold Bitcoin on their balance sheet. The PayPal story, again, it's it's one of these symbols that perhaps this is becoming a much more accepted form of payment. But of course, you know, the, the headlines are misleading in saying that Bitcoin is now accepted by 26 million merchants. It's not. PayPal is accepted by 26 million yeah. merchants. You can just, PayPal will take your Bitcoin, convert it into whatever free fiat currency that the merchants want and they'll pay them in that so yeah there's there's an awful lot of news most of it i think is just noise uh we'll just have to kind of wait and see what's going to happen with the actual price of it because i don't think particularly think a huge amount has changed in terms of the overall story and um, you know one of the things like i actually own some crypto but the way i invested yeah. in it was i bought a small amount that was never going to have a massive impact on my financial future and i haven't looked at it since i actually have no idea what it's worth and i'm not going to look at it for about 10 years because any me looking at it is just going to incite me to take an action and i'm not informed enough to take an action so if it works out great if it doesn't no big deal you know certain things like apparently and the, the, there's varying kind of reports on this but something about two percent of all the ownership accounts that can be tracked on the blockchain control about 95 percent of all the digital assets now that's that kind of concentration that i would not be comfortable having 
a large amount of my money tied up in because that's just whether or not they are doing it there's so much opportunity for manipulation when you have that yeah. kind of concentration of an asset and you know Nora Rubini commonly known as Dr. Doom has come out strongly about this saying it's a complete scam he compared it to gambling at a rig casino where you know the controlling interests are just going to pump and dump this back and forth as much as they want like the thing is we don't know we just don't mm-hmm. know what the future of Bitcoin is and so my my position on it and you, and you can't value it you know you just can't value it it's it's it, it doesn't produce any income it's it's a it's similar to like what we talk about with gold or, or or commodities it's only worth what someone else is willing to give you for it so if you're going to invest in it my advice to anyone who's investing in it is put some if you want to put some money behind it put some money behind it, but don't put enough that you're going to miss you know, put the yeah. money that you're going to uh, that you, if, if, it's, if it goes to zero it's not going to you know dramatically uh, alter your financial future Emmett um, I know you've been doing a lot of research on Bitcoin recently too and I suppose if you, if you listen back to old episodes of Stock Club from two years ago we were quite dismissive of the Bitcoin bubble back in 2017 start of 2018 what's your opinion on it now you know three years later hmm I'm not as cold as I was. I certainly was very bearish on Bitcoin. As you remember, James, I didn't think much of it at all. I mean, the concept was great, but the practical application of a Bitcoin for me was still lacking. And I think we saw a convergence of an awful lot of news in the last few weeks and couple of months. And Rory kind of highlighted a lot of that news, like when you've legendary investors like Paul Tudor Jones and I think Stanley Druckenmiller and a whole bunch of them coming out saying that they purchased Bitcoin. It suddenly was almost like permission for smaller investment managers and individuals to go off and and do the same. Um, But there's a a company out there called MicroStrategy, which is listed in the US and and they, they I think it was just before Christmas, 21st of December, they they announced that they had purchased, I think it was $650 million worth of the of Bitcoin and bringing their total holding up to a billion dollars. Um, and as again, as Rory said, PayPal, you know, has empowered Bitcoin as a, I suppose, a currency support on their platform. So suddenly there was news um, about Bitcoin, which was validating and validates it as a perceived and real store of value. So, I mean, if something is perceived store of value, it is a store of value. It just needs everyone to believe it is a store of value. So it's starting to warm up, obviously. But when you have people like um, Scott Galloway in his his newsletter, which I think is called No Mercy, No Malice or something like that. I was reading it over Christmas and, and he kind of postulated that Bitcoin, one single Bitcoin might rise to a million dollars in value. Now, he he had a bear argument as well, but, you know, people read this as a broadly read um, circular that Galloway produces. He's an expert. He calls things well, generally. And so when he even puts that out there as a possibility, it kind of crystallizes people's belief and confirmation bias kicks in. And then all of a sudden there's a FOMO. Yeah. So what I think we're seeing at the moment um in the market and in in the rush of money into Bitcoin is is fear of missing out and people seeing businesses and academics and in and, and individual money managers starting to open a position um in in their various different ways in Bitcoin who and you know uh that might in fact be 
the early movements or let's say the the early majority towards it actually being a true store of value. So my jury is still out, you know, and I'm, I'm involved in a couple of conversations, uh, one on WhatsApp at the moment with people who understand the subject a lot better than I do. And, and certainly there's no lacking in belief amongst people who are into it. But the arguments that I'm reading still don't resonate with me as something that are economically sound. And you can argue a Bitcoin's platform technically is outstanding and that the technology that it offers and the advantages it brings. But, you know, it's like you you disappear down a rabbit hole when you look, when you start to look at cryptocurrencies and you figure, oh, well, the power required for a Bitcoin transaction, like the electrical power required for a Bitcoin yeah. transaction is now higher than the electrical power required for a traditional currency transaction. And and for me, there's question marks floating out of my head when I'm reading this stuff, you know, because yeah. I've never <laughs> considered such things before, you know. Sorry, Amit, to cut across. I want to go back to something Rory mentioned, which I think is interesting. And I think maybe is one of the roadblocks we see as stock investors. So, you know, when we're considering a stock, there's a lot of t- Things we can use to analyze that stock. We can go in and read the company's financials. We can look at the leadership team. We can look at customer reviews, all of these things. With with something like Bitcoin, and I suppose maybe other assets as well, there's nothing you can use to, I suppose, assess the value. How does that fare with you? Does does, does that hold you back or, or make you more skeptical of, of an investment in, in something like Bitcoin? You're dead right, James. Like, if I can draw on music as a parallel, because what you said there completely resonates with me. When the guitar was introduced as a classical instrument, people who are classically trained in music to that point totally disregarded it until a guy called Andre Segovia came along and he had a masterful use and uh, he was a musical virtuoso and, and he knew that this was an instrument that would radically disrupt music. And there are people out there, I feel like part of the old crew. I believe, yeah. as does Rory, at looking at a company's strategy, its mission, its vision, the kind of things it's out to achieve and how it's going to do it. And, and the lines of inquiry that Rory and my minds are uh, aligned to kind of assess are lacking. We, there's different, entirely different swim lane when you look at a cryptocurrency. I, I just don't feel like I have developed enough skill personally, and it's exactly to your question, you know, by being a traditional, and I don't think super traditional, but being traditional stocks guy, um, yeah. uh, I, I'm, I'm worried about what I'm missing. Mm. And that's why I'm up to my knees at the moment, surrounded by people who are broadly half my age telling me why Bitcoin and the 101 other, probably 1,001 other cryptocurrencies are absolutely the future. And I actually disagree with them, but I really want to be surrounded by people who are telling me I'm wrong because I need to get there. And I, I still remain uh, skeptical, but I, I have to surround myself with those people who are, who are, as I say, half my age and, and far more informed on it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that brings us nicely on to the next thing I want to talk about. And speaking of people telling people they're wrong, over the past few weeks, there's been a lot of interest on the FinTwit community on Twitter about a company called Fubo TV. That's F-U-B-O. This is a streaming service that focuses primarily on sports channels. Rory, I know you've been keeping an eye on the company, but before we get to a kind of analysis of the company and what it does and, and what it might look like as a potential investment, I want to chat about kind of the idea of people taking stocks and, and stocks into portfolio as as kind of part of their identity or taking a bit personal. 
Yeah, it can happen. And I suppose it's, good, it's a good segue from the Bitcoin uh, conversation. Yeah, because, because if, if you were to tweet out there, you know, I hate Bitcoins, Bitcoin is crap, you can be pretty sure you're going to you're gonna get a, a lot of angry responses. Yeah, it's like, what's the... <laughs> name some kind of topics you could talk about on Twitter that would cause an argument instantly. Bitcoin's <laughs> probably like top of the list. Uh, and Fubo for the last kind of couple of weeks it definitely has been up there as, as one of these ones that people are just intensely passionate about. Fastly was the one before that. If you saw the yeah. people, um, I think I got, we got kind of not, I wouldn't say hate mail, but angry people <laughs> were getting in touch with, with me at one point because I added Cloudflare instead of Fastly. <laughs> yeah. Like, so we, can, we can add Fastly too at some point, can't we? <laughs> um, the... So Fubo TV is a streaming service which is kind of focused around the idea of sports. And the reason that I was kind of initially attracted to the idea of it was because we follow obviously the whole cable cutting or cord cutting um, trend. The over-the-top streaming is obviously like a big trend that we follow in, in, in general. And one of the problems that has always kind of risen up was that sports is the missing link you know if you yeah. you know if you really want a cable cut at the moment you've you pretty much you can do you can get as much entertainment as you want from the likes of um netflix and disney plus and amazon but people were still hanging on to those cable packages because there's only really two things people care about in linear tv anymore and that's live sports and live news and you, and you can look back at fox divesting themselves of their assets to disney back it was it feels like two years ago now they held on to the sports and the news because that those were the parts they understood were going to be you know they were going to survive the cord cutting trend or at least that content was going to still be valuable outside the world of cord cutting so fubo tv was launched in 2015 as a soccer streaming service uh, entirely dedicated to soccer and it pivoted to more to kind of all sports or the major sports back in 2017. In June, it signed a deal with Disney to bring ESPN and their other um, their other networks to the service. They added kind of ABC, NBC, Fox News. So then they became kind of much more. So they had basically loads of channels, not just sports yeah. channels, but very much marketed themselves based on the sporting aspect of it. Um, now, the problem is now that they become just another uh what's called a virtual multi-channel video program distributor which is just a company that buys content from the major content providers and repackages and redistributes and they compete with companies like sling uh hulu has a live tv streaming service youtube tv is a big thing in the states where you can get your live tv through youtube so even though they're kind of marketing themselves as the sports first uh television service there's very little difference between them and kind of the other big players um so i mean as a company it's it's in that space it's in what's an interesting space because we know over the top streaming is going to be is going to grow over the next few decades but this is still you know they're competing against hulu which is 4.1 million subscribers at the moment youtube tv has 3 million subscribers at the moment sling has 2.5 million subscribers and fubo has less than half a million at the last report so they're they're yeah. one of the smallest players in this space and the bare argument for Fubo TV is that they're growing really rapidly, and they were, and they are growing really rapidly. They're growing about sixty percent year over year, and that's even with a year where you know an awful lot of sports was cancelled over the summer. So there was a lot of people who weren't really, you know, there's no sports to watch. So why would you uh, subscribe to Fubo uh, when there's no sports on? And so even even in what we should have been kind of a quiet year, they're growing very rapidly. And there was other kind of bull cases as well. You know, Disney took a small stake in the group, the the, the parent company that owned them 
and then they had this kind of gambling online ga- or sports betting play as well where they kind yeah. of very much just dipped their toe into a, a, a fantasy sports betting company that they acquired and so this was kind of the bull argument for that and the stock really kind of rocketed like it, it started off about ten dollars i think when it when it uh, became public and it was up at sixty dollars at one point then suddenly the bear arguments start coming in and they came in pretty rapidly um you know one guy in particular from lightshade capital pointed out that you know fubo is no different than an awful lot of the other streaming services out there the ones that i've already mentioned noted that these like a lot of like even sony had a version of this this business that they essentially just closed down because it wasn't making them any money they just couldn't make money out of this service AT&D had one direct tv now i think is what it was called they shut that that down or they essentially stopped investing in it completely because it's just a kind of crummy business the the way that you pay for the content is you pay for it on a contract basis you have to buy all the the content you know the networks won't just sell you the sports bit uh, yeah. because they want you to pay for all their content uh, and then you end up just having to constantly increase your prices to pay to pay for the content that you're delivering to subscribers so um that was one that was one kind of thing that was pointed out uh then the other argument was that yeah that they have massive competitors in this in the space with youtube and hulu and that kind of thing and the other thing was that like you know the sports betting thing it's so early in the game that this was being kind of priced in with perfect execution and zero competition and that and these are all very good points that were made uh unfortunately the analyst who who posted them ended up being absolutely just like harangued on twitter for like weeks on end he got very kind of angry sometimes even kind of slightly threatening messages in about why was he shorting this stock that people love so much and trying to rob people of what was a great investment opportunity and it just was just kind of bizarre it's it's worrying that that's kind of the level that things have gotten to in 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 what is supposed to be a space where you're kind of debate ideas and you know you always look for the the other person's argument you know, when I see that kind of happen, it's definitely a sign that the people investing in the company have no faith or don't understand their investment. It reminded me of something I think you you wrote before in, in the My Wall Street app, which was about being an investor and the importance of being optimistic when you're an investor. You know, investing is a game of optimism and believing that these companies will, will excel over the long term. But at the same time, you know, there's a difference between an optimist and a, and a fanaticist, maybe. Totally, and you know, the, you know, we always talk. We, we hear investing companies that we love. I know a lot of people say, "Don't marry your stocks, or don't fall in love with your stocks." We don't go down that route. We actually do, and you know, we try and find companies that we really love and admire and yeah. to invest in. But that doesn't mean that you're not open to, to you know hearing the opposite argument or to you know to changing your mind if new evidence is presented to you. Uh, and so you know, definitely this kind of FOMO. I suppose Emma, you were talking about the FOMO before. This is the FOMO, the momentum stock. When people, I suppose, invest purely based on a stock going up, for example. So, oh, it's gone up 20%. It's going to go up 20% tomorrow. I have to invest now. That's where you see people will just, like, they just don't have the thesis in their head. You know, if they had the thesis in their head and they believed in the business, someone shorting the stock and sending it down 50% should be brilliant. They should be delighted. Yeah. They should get to buy more at a cheaper price, but they don't. And it's kind of a worrying uh, element of Fintwit, I suppose. And and, and it's kind of, it brings in the whole kind of alpha male 
thing that happens around investing where you, it's, it's not enough to, to be kind of confident in your own beliefs. You just have to scream about it and, and you know, uh, I'll pass on some phrases that I could use here. But that way, it's just... What about you, Emmett? Have you ever felt like sending Rory some hate mail when he shoots down one of your stock ideas? <laughs> Well, Slack was off air the other day, so I had a I had a whole artillery of hate mail ready to go, and just the minute I hit go, uh, yeah, I mean it's exactly that. I mean the the whole point of being an adult is you're meant to be aware of confirmation bias, and and I mean like it's very simple. Our brains there's a Venn diagram, two circles, and the first circle is objective facts, and in the other circle is your beliefs, and then they overlap a little bit. And those objective facts that align with your beliefs is what you see. And that was kind of proven in virtually every presidency of the last, I suppose, I, I would guess maybe eight plus presidents. In the US, there's books written that appeal to either side of the line. Yeah. Either why this individual is the greatest person who was ever born or the worst person who was ever born. And people will buy the book that already aligns with their beliefs because they just want to harden those beliefs. And and I, as I said about cryptocurrency, I actually want people to tell me with respect why I'm wrong, because I really value that. I, I, I understand, like, none of us know everything. We need to be told why we're wrong, but we need to also have the strength to know, uh, to lean on our own experience and to evolve uh, our sense of judgment, you know, which I think will lead us to the right decision. Absolutely. Let's move on then and take a look at some of the things going on in my Wall Street at the moment. We've just published January's Stock of the Month selection earlier this week. I think it's fair to say that this is a pretty boring company, but its market opportunity is huge as it tries to, in the company's own words, build a better internet. If you prefer to actually listen to the Stock of the Month rather than read it, then make sure to tune into the Stock of the Month podcast, which is going live exclusively in the My Wall Street app on Monday, January 11th. If you're not a My Wall Street member yet but want to listen to this podcast, you can sign up and start your free trial in the app by just clicking on the link in the notes for today's show. This is usually the part where we move on to jargon busters, but we actually have a special treat for you guys today. Instead of jargon busters, we're going to share a short interview Emmett did with a young investor from the UK named Zachary just before the Christmas break. Although he's only 12, Zachary runs a successful YouTube channel called Young Investor, where he makes video pitches for the stocks he's analysing at the minute. Emmett, what did you make of your chat with Zachary? 12 is very, very young to be pitching stocks. It really is. I mean, he's such an impressive young man. And it's I just get very excited when I see young people get engaged around stock investing because I know they can make, they have loads of time to learn from mistakes and they have loads of time to learn in the traditional way with books and uh, but most of all they're setting the set themselves up for something really great in the future because the defining like the, the the greatest source of alpha are beating the market on a sustained basis is time. And when I see young people like Zachary, who's really well read and has strong opinions that he can articulate very well, I just think it's great. And I think he's he's a terrific young man. I'm sure he's a very bright future. And, and actually, I know a whole bunch of other people quite like him. And um, I always admire a young investor and I was delighted to interview him. Absolutely. What do you think of Bitcoin? I was just about to say that, Rory. He's a big fan of Bitcoin. <laughs> so here's the interview and make sure to stick around until the end so you can catch our elevator pitches. This week's one is a good one. Zachary, you're very welcome to my Wall Street Stock Club podcast. And I think uh, you have the honour of being by far the youngest investor that I've had the pleasure of interviewing or getting to know outside the four walls of my home. Um 
Zachary, I'm going to ask you a few questions because really um, you are a person of huge interest to the world because of your age and your fascination and the expertise you're delivering to us all on stock investing. So could you tell me, how did you first become interested in the stock market and investing? Yeah, so um, before like um, the stock market, all that, I've always been, I don't know, I've always been quite interested in history and all that kind of stuff, learning how people live. And, you know, sometimes in history and everything's um, related to financial events or not too much. But um, on your phone, sometimes you always get those annoying news alerts. And, you know, sometimes you get a news alert about the stock market or whatever. And, um, you know, it's a combination of that. But then my the UK version of um, Robinhood trading tool, too, I'm sure you know them. And they ran they, they ran a massive ad campaign once. And I decided to, um, um, to get my mum to start an account. And that's how I really started getting into the stock market. That's absolutely terrific. So what's the number one thing you look for in an investment, Zachary? Something which can make me money mostly. I usually look for something like a growth stock or that, um, something which is like high growth, maybe not fully recognised by the market, maybe more on the speculative side of, you know, an investment. I'm not going, I don't think when, if you buy a speculative investment necessarily, you're putting a load of money at risk because, you know, I, I always think you do your DD and, you know, you like you like the stock. You think it's got great growth potential ahead, then I don't see any, you know, worry in buying a stock like that. I mean, I bought loads of growth stocks. Where, I mean, I, I've had a penny stock, which I have to this day, Akimoto. I brought that two weeks. Um, so after two weeks of owning that stock, it went up 60%, 69% in one day. So that, was, so that, was, uh, that was pretty good. But, you know, I think stuff like that, when when they get more recognised by the market, so, um, you know, under the radar stocks, when I'm looking into one at the moment, which Bill Ackman has been talking about, it's valued at like one billion dollars. It's um, I think it's for like Freddie Mac, something like that. But it's like a, it's a really, it's very much a boring company. All they, they, they for example, in 2008, they actually brought up subprime mortgages in the crash, split them up into securities, and then back and then sold them as back securities. And the government then proceeded to take them private for a new regulation. They've come back to stock market. I mean, I saw Bill Ackman talking about them. He says, I think if um, the Fed secretary puts up the interest rates or the um, secretary of state carries on um, taking these companies out and recognising them, allowing them to carry on going on the stock market, he was saying, mm-hmm. like, next year you can see that stock going up 600%. He said that's really the fun part of our portfolio and stuff like that. So I, I, I look at that stock in interest. I just look for something which has... Yeah, high growth potential is not going to take me 10 years to make some money. Mm, so, you know, you're not scared of some risk. How, what do you, how do you feel about cryptocurrencies? Yeah, so I think, well, I think, you know, unlike, you know, I mean, most, I usually just look at Bitcoin. That's like the one thing I'm into. Like, a lot of my followers are into Bitcoin. So really before I, you know, had all these followers, um, you know, I was never really into crypto or all that. I didn't really do any research about it at all, but then some people are like, you should look into Bitcoin. I started, I started reading more and more about it. And I think the thing which is most interesting about Bitcoin is you've got this thing where you're up 100% year over year, every single year. Um, you've got something which, you know, is, is quite unpredictable. It's not always following the market. What I find interesting about Bitcoin is you've got 21 million Bitcoins in existence. That's all you've got. You're only ever going to have 21 million Bitcoins. You can't have 22 million. Not every year, you're just creating more and more Bitcoins. I mean, for every dollar you have in your bank, next year it's going to be worth 98 cents. It's something like that. Unlike Bitcoin, you're never going to be in the situation where the, the, your money is always getting devalued because 
more and more Bitcoins coming out, Bitcoin's always going to say it's 21 million. I mean, we had the, the last run-up we've had before this one, was, we was, everyone said there was a crash. It was there, said there would be a crash, you know, it's a bit of a bubble. You know, they, it did crash, I think, this time with this Bitcoin run-up. We're not, there's not much talk of it being a crash. It's more of it being, a, you know, not people just thinking it's going to carry on going up and up. I mean, um, I was, you know, I've got, I know, like, people like Pop, for example, I was, you know, uh, messaging him on Twitter once, and we were just talking about crypto. I think the interesting thing about, I think, going into the future, more and more assets institutions are going to start um, buying up Bitcoin. I mean, um, I read something from the author of Rich Dad Poor Dad. They, they were saying the other day that they're so happy they did buy Bitcoin. I think next year we're going to have a wall of institutional money start flooding into the Bitcoin. I think it's going to go up next year. So we're not going to crash. With you know, I don't think we're in that kind of scenario. I think the whole future of Bitcoin is overwhelmingly positive. Now, obviously, it carries a risk. That it's just, it just, uh, you know, uh, a magical online coin which has no value. Mm, mm. Fascinating. What What do you think your biggest advantage is, Zachary, as, as a young man? You're, you're 12 years old, is that correct? Yeah, 12. So what do you reckon your biggest advantage is being such a young investor uh, doing what you're doing right now? I think you kind of look at the world, I don't know, you kind of had a more sense of what the world's like. Like Warren Buffett, if you approach him about buying anything like, Techie, apart from Apple, you know anything he hasn't really heard of. Like if you talk about the upcoming Roblox IPO, I mean, even Bitcoin, he says that's a value. That it's just a piece of junk, holds no value. But then the same goes for the US dollar, because it's only worth something if we all think it's worth something. Bitcoin's worth something because people think it's worth something. So I think stuff like I don't think like older investors really get the whole idea of stuff like which is maybe a bit more modern and more futuristic. I think they're more stuck to some stuff which they were used to, but maybe they want to look forward to what is going for the future. I mean, so it's like um, people, you know, everywhere, for example, Bitcoin, they're very, they're very hesitant. They just think it's a, a worthless old crypto. It's not worthless, worthless old crypto coin. It's worth $18,000 or $20,000. I don't know, you know, $18,000, $20,000, whatever it's worth now. So I think going forward, I think more... I think young investors have a more sense of what the world's the way the world's heading. Mm, couldn't agree more. So, how do you find stocks? Like, what do you look for in an investment, and how do you kind of how do things get your attention? Yeah. So the way I find my stocks is just you know a combination. Maybe just browsing through YouTube one day, somebody puts you onto a brand new stock, and you think, oh, that looks interesting. I'll have a look at it. You know, do some due diligence on it, and you know, I find stocks that way. Sometimes you might see a stock in the news, for example. Maybe an analyst has just slated it or whatever. Look into it and you think, oh, this stock isn't that bad after all. Maybe, you know, somebody like, I don't know, Muddy Waters or whatever has maybe a different a different intention to get a bit of money out of their shorting profits. Mm-hmm. I think it's mm-hmm. a combination of looking into these kind of stocks. I mean, I know I know a lot of stocks which maybe I've never been invested in or whatever. But, you know, I still, I still look into them. I still keep up to date with them in the sense, for example, if I ever considered investing in them, for example, like the other day, a stock which I'm not in, but really was considering buying was Green Power Motor Company, ticker symbol GP. So they were in a short report against them as always. You just think these short reports are rubbish. Went on the website, mega dodgy website here, something like Diamond, Diamond Research, you know, had a pirate skull on it. But when you open the investor presentation, they pointed out a really interesting thing. Half of it, you know, talking about the CEO was just pure rubbish. I don't know if that was right or wrong. But then they actually showed, because of Green Power a bus maker, an EV bus maker, they showed the picture of an import, a China bus called the MVC V 
I and compared it to their bus, and it's the exact same bus, the green power one had green power on the side, and they just ripped out all the seats to make it America compliant. That's the kind of stuff that I don't think really anyone really cared about the re- that research report. That's the kind of because you know it just has so much hype around it, and there's always people just don't care about research reports anymore. Yeah, unless it gets loads of media attention. I'm thinking about looking at the short report. I'm thinking, I mean, I, I was, I'm a member of the stock this school, and we're all looking at the short report. We're all thinking, you know, maybe green power is a fraud after all. Then maybe you look mm-hmm. at somewhere different. I mean, at the moment, I have a lot of money in SPACs, for example. I think that's, I think SPACs are eventually going to take over the traditional IPO process. I mean, unlike something like Airbnb, you've not got no chance to buy at a reasonable price compared to SPACs, you have the chance to buy at. You know, whatever price the hype might market takes it. But then if you buy a blank check like Bill Ackman's back, for example, you're buying at $20, $25 worth of your buy-in. You've got the potential to lose five bucks on that stock and then make a hundred percent if you're emerging with Stripe or Robinhood or some mm. really interesting like that. So I think I really like SPACs because I think it offers you a much more easier way to have an opportunity to buy maybe under the value, under the radar companies, or maybe you know, as soon as they come public, you have um, you know, over the radar companies. You've got a chance of buying at some sort of a reasonable price. Yeah. Are you worried at all about the fact that when you buy into a SPAC, you don't really know what business you're buying into? Um, well, if you're buying into a blank track, of course, you don't know. But I think if, you, if I think with stocks, you know, some SPACs have gone good or bad for me. I mean, sometimes, you know, I've got, if I have like £50, you know, in cash, I might buy a, 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 you know, a SPAC, which is like something which there's certain SPACs when they go public, no one's heard of them. But then you kind of know it's such an interesting kind of spec. All the YouTubers are going to start making videos on them. Next day, you've got a whole lot of hype after all the YouTube videos came out in the evening. That's the kind of thing where I might just put a little bit of money into there, you know, just as a little sweet mm-hmm. trade. Because I mean, I mean, I made money on the stock which is merging with a rival, CIIG. I brought into that at eleven dollars. Um, that I brought on the day we had the rumor from Roosters. Um, it's just a rumor. Lucky enough, the next day we actually had the confirmation. I doubled my position on that day and then we ran up to like $30. I, th- I think I sold up 30 Is there any spec at the moment that you fancy just the chances of? Yeah, so maybe it's a bit of a speculative one, but I'm, I really like the look of the um, PaySafe one, um, which is good merging through something like Foley Trans- Transmine Holdings. And I think the really interesting thing about PaySafe is, you know, it's backed by some really famous investors. It's given public around $9 billion valuation, one of the biggest stacks ever to go public. And the interesting about that one is when you look at something, um, a square, for example, pay safe allow the transactions through the bank, you know, so like, a bit like PayPal and Square. But the difference between them is they, they've got all the gaming platforms. They are the one, they, are, they service Twitch, they service Fortnite, they service all the major video games. So you're looking at a company who actually has $98 billion in transaction volume on the platform. That's almost identical to Square, which is like $105, $103 billion. But Square's value, Square's value at $100 billion. Paystakes value at $9 billion. So that's a really interesting opportunity. I mean, the other day, um, I, I, have, I only brought a few shares in it. You know, it's kind of a, I think I've got like 6% of my portfolio in that one. The interesting wow. thing about them is, yeah, then we have um, one of the guys on CNBC Fast Money saying that just after the market plays that like you think it's thinks it's going to 3x and it's at like 12 percent today just because yeah. it's going to 3x so it's all about getting more hype around that kind of stock you know gets more media attention um so then it you know it, it kind of starts flying after that nice so zachary here's a big question for you give me your pitch 
for your top company for the year 2021? What do you reckon if you had to put your pin down on one company, which one would you choose? Well, my best stock, which I think is going to perform the best in 2021. That's a hard question. I would say it's between two things, between um, Road Generation or maybe Neo or Paysafe. But I think it's probably, I think the chances are it's either going to be Neo or Paysafe. I think with Neo, you've got the thing where next year, uh, you know, um, you've got more. Yeah, you know, I think we got Neo Day coming up in January. That's going to be really interesting. We just we just diluted about six percent of our whole stock after you know huge run ups recently. I think it's quite interesting because I can see William Lee, the CEO, maybe cutting the price of the Neo, and we're getting even closer to Xping. Is what I think. When you look at Xping or Neo, you're always going to choose Neo. I think so. If you get close to that, I think PaySafe has got the potential in 2021 to get that way more media attention. You've got the potential for that stock to continue growing really rapidly. I mean, it's spanned like 1980, but it's only taking off recently. I think with something like that could be really good because you've got, well, I think that socials, I mean, I was talking to Gally from HyperChange the other day, and we were, we were, we were both agreed that so gaming's going to be the new social for millennials and all that. You hop on your Xbox, you're going to be talking to your friends. You know, um, I don't think Facebook's going to be such a major player next few years as my uh, my generation, for example, grows up and even millennials at the moment. I think everyone's going to be hopping on Xboxes now, not necessarily having Facebook accounts. I think people are going to have a Facebook account. They're not going to be active on their Facebook account, maybe on it occasionally. I think everything's going to be around gaming now. People are going to be like subscribing to like gaming packages for different XP coins or whatever. And then you've got PaySafe, which is transacting all of that. That gets about 5% of all that. So last year, they, they, have a, they had around like one5 billion dollars in revenue and they made a billion dollars on that so you've got a really you've got a high margin business in PaySafe, one of the most lucrative sectors in the world and it's all on twitter saying they don't like PaySafe. so they're saying unless you with say list a load of gaming companies unless you have all of them there's no way i'm buying in what they didn't realize was they're with all of them so i think with PaySafe, you've, you've got twitch which is owned by amazon the largest streaming platform they transact everything through there and then you've got fortnite which is one of their major customers Fortnite's possibly one of the biggest games in the whole world at the moment. And I think it's been staying like that for a few years now. You had like the Fortnite championships back um, ages ago, like a few years ago. Mm. I think with Fortnite, you're gonna carry on you're gonna carry on seeing um things transacted through that. I think it's quite interesting that pace is gonna be one transacting that. So there's more and more people start buying more and more coins, for example. I think PaySafe is going to, that's going to be a very lucrative investment. Nice. So Zachary, what do your friends make of your hobby? Like are any of them interested? No, my, my friend Ollie, he's actually quite interested. He put like 40 wow. quid into Socks and Shares account just nice. to see how it went. Yeah, so he's, he's kind of interested, but most of my friends aren't, so I don't really talk about it that much. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. And how do you balance your homework with your stock picking? Um, yeah, I just do my homework and then after I do yeah. stock Good man. Well, well done, Zachary. I wish I'd have started as young as you have started. I wish I was as good uh, at stock picking age 18 as you are now so very best of wishes to you and thank you so much for joining me on stock club today so that was the interview thanks a million to zachary for coming on the stock club podcast if you want to find out more about zachary check out his youtube channel at young investor or his twitter at young investor 2 that's young investor and the number two thanks for that zachary let's move on to the elevator pitch so we've already spoken about how 2017 was bitcoin's year the year after that 2018 was the year for weed companies 2019 was the alternative meat revolution and 2020 was the rise of working from home stocks 
today i want you guys to pitch to me what you think 2021's big investing theme will be so what what when when we're doing our end of the year podcast next december what are we going to be talking about as the big theme of 2021 uh rory i'll come to you first so i'm trying to kind of figure what makes investing like what makes one of those years that where things just totally explode yeah. and i think one of the kind of common themes that you see is it's something that is actually very complicated but that people who don't really understand it can explain very simply if that makes okay. sense so it's <laughs> like you know something that's got real complexity in the background but which someone can just say you know it's the next netflix yeah that's okay. the yeah, so yeah. what was happening with fubo particularly because people were calling it the next netflix so i think that's how kind of mania definitely forms in the market and for this year i'm torn there's two i definitely think are contenders one of which is gene editing i think could definitely be one of those things that people are like it's very, very complex, but if you find kind of a one-liner, you could convince an awful lot of retail investors to buy into it. Um, and so that's definitely one. The other one is sports betting, because which we've talked about before yeah. is, um, you know, is go is already people are talking about a huge amount. It's it seems obvious on the outset, but as we've dived into the kind of regulations and laws about it, uh, is actually very complex and it's going to take a long time to kind of iron out. So Rory, I'm interested. What would you call gene editing the next? Gene editing the next? Didn't they? I mean, it's uh, didn't they have a couple of companies back in like the uh, tech bubble that were had? You know, they could cure blindness, but they had no idea how to do it. They just said they yeah. Well, actually, when, when John, when JT and I set up um, my Wall Street, we were out in Silicon Valley, and we we're meeting the great and the good of, of the Valley. And, and I remember once someone saying to me, oh man, you have to compress your business plan down to just kind of four words. We're the X of Y. Yeah. And so, so gene editing is the what of what? So gene editing is a, I don't know, what is it? It's the Red Bull of, of soda. Is it? No, that's, <laughs> that's a bit lame. Like, it's the Red Bull. No, sorry, it's the Red Bull of self improvement. No, hold on, help me here. Okay, well, I'm going to leave Red Bull. Rory, you're the expert in gene editing. Go for it. Yeah. <laughs> Thank God you're not in the marketing game, Emmett. It's the Amazon no, of pharma. I don't know. Mm. We'll get there. You have two weeks until, the next, well, until yeah. the next episode to figure it out. Emmett, what's your elevator pitch? And well, I'm a little bit sore because, as you know, I, I pitched gene editing about two years to you guys, <laughs> uh, two years ago to you guys, and you laughed me off the stage. This is what Rory does, Emmett. I pitched Home Depot, <laughs> and he, I, when I took some time off, he picked it as stock of the month. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, so I'm going to go slightly different uh, route, and it's if vaccines are effective, and it's if, if, if they are effective, I think all our fingers are crossed. From Q2, I think there'll be a new age of consumer spending and experiences, the likes of which we haven't really seen in our lives. And I think holidays, flights, cruises, Airbnbs, weekend trips, you know, round the world adventures, pubs, clubs, parties, gatherings. I'm, I think we're going to see a huge pent up demand for real life events yeah. kind of happen and and that doesn't mean I'd run out and buy shares you know in JetBlue and, and Royal Caribbean that's not what I'm saying but I think that 2021's team will be kind of around a B 
behavioral reversion people yeah. reverting to the way we used to be um without commute perhaps um so the teams i don't i think it's going to be a, a dull q1 because we're all still at home and, and cases of the virus are certainly not improving in our corner of the world but uh we've a lot to be hopeful about um and i think as the the vaccines are rolled out people go outside again and and i think there'd be an awful lot of great investment opportunities around that kind of um getting back to to the normal we enjoyed in 2019 and and before i've seen the the term roaring 20s thrown around quite a lot recently yeah yeah exactly i can definitely get on board in that as long as there's no more zoom quizzes um, that's it from this week's Stock Club. Don't forget out all the great new stuff in my Wall Street at the moment. If there's anything you want us to discuss or explain on the next episode, make sure to get in touch. You can catch us on Twitter, that's at MyWallStreetHQ, or email us at pod at MyWallStreet.com. That's P-O-D at MyWallStreet.com. Don't forget to subscribe to Stock Club too, and if you're enjoying the podcast, please leave a review for us on whatever platform you listen to us on. That's it from us here today. We'll talk to you in two weeks. Happy investing. <laughs>